right. Well, welcome everyone. We're so thankful once again that you are hanging out with us at thevine.tv as we start our brand new series called Arrows. How many of us got like in a Hunger Games feel a little bit in a way, or or maybe even Braveheart with a, the paint there? That's awesome. Uh, as we're getting ready, well, I want to tell you as we're walking through this series called Arrows, we're going to be talking about living a life on target. By having God-centered relationships. You know, the Bible gives us instructions on how to interact with those who are most special to us. And even if we've missed the mark in the past, we can continue to move forward living a life on target. And this is what we're going to talk about doing as we live a life on target. Because we're going to draw our bow and aim for the bullseye. If you never had a pastor joke, that was such a pastor joke. And it landed beautifully as a pastor joke. Silence in the crowd. So I'm thankful that you're here today. One of the things I love that we've been getting to do over these past few weeks together is, you know, I'm going to start off, number one, by saying thank you for hanging out with us. But I got a few questions that go with the message today. So you're going to get to know your neighbor well today. We're going to get to know each other well today. And so I got two questions for us. Both are going to be hopefully really fun, but they're going to make sense. The first one is this. The zombie apocalypse is coming. Who are three people that have to be on your team? Who are the three people that have to be on your team? The zombie apocalypse is I can't wait to hear these comments. The zombie apocalypse is coming. Who are the three people that you want on your team? Now, naturally, I would obviously, we always want our family, right? Because we want to protect our family. But if we had a team to go against the zombie apocalypse, who would we have? For me, Rebecca Chambers from Resident Evil. Like, you got to go Resident Evil if you're dealing with zombies. I know I'm making myself old here, but I'm just saying rolls of quarters make all the difference, if you know. You know, uh, also, I have Brian Mills, which is Liam Neeson's character in Taken. We got to go for that. I got, some, I got some people who are awesome. And last but not least, I have Robert McCall, which is Denzel Washington's character in The Equalizer. Like, you know, so I got a pretty solid crew with me. For me, uh, if, if I were to say that, you could maybe call them the B team instead of the A team. And uh, I wouldn't be Captain Hannibal. I would be someone else because I would obviously only be pulling the strings because I have no leverage when it comes to the zombie apocalypse. So I would love, love, love to know who your, your team is. I can't wait to read those comments. That's going to be fun. It's going to make sense here as we go forward. Second question, second question. Even better, as we talk about relationships and living life on target, you just got your brand new late night talk show. Who's the first guest you're going to interview? Some thought. I love that. Who is your first guest on your late night talk show? Doesn't have to be a church answer either. Mine obviously was not with the zombie apocalypse, <laughs> the church answer. Oh, yeah, I hear you. Yes, I'm going to tell you who mine is. Mine is uh, the Red Green, the character Red Green. You have no clue who that is unless you've lived in the Northwest or Canada and you've watched the CBC or PBS. But Red Green was a talk show, uh, a variety show, if you will. It's crazy. Uh, it's about a guy who runs a thing called the Possum Lodge, and they build some crazy, crazy stuff. Favorite thing they ever built was a backhoe out of a Cadillac. So they literally had a Cadillac car, and they made it into a backhoe, and he also made that same car into a lawnmower. And so he cut grass with that. I don't know why that's so interesting, but that would be who was on my late-night talk show. I would really want to talk to Red Green, so I know that just made me even more an outlier, which is awesome when we're talking about arrows. But the reason I want to talk about that is uh, who is on our team and who we think is important in our relationships matter to each and every one of us. But we can't really have a real relationship unless it's built on a strong foundation. 
See, relationships are all about having a strong foundation, and that's what we're going to be unpacking today as we talk about this, because relationships matter, don't they? If nothing else, we can see that. As a matter of fact, if we're not careful in the church, if I'm completely honest with you, we have let the world define our relationships, and we're wondering why we're getting worldly results in the church. In other words, we are letting the world tell us what relationships should be instead of what a God-centered relationship should look like in the church, and we're wondering why we're yielding worldly results. And so if we want to live a life on target, we want to live a life with a God-centered relationship, we've got to look and see what the Bible says a God-centered relationship is because if we're completely honest, not only we're yielding worldly results, inside the church we treat relationships as expendable, don't we? Here's how I know that. You get one disagreement, what ends up happening usually in a church? They fight over the color of the candles at Advent time. Uh, which one's what? Or the color of the carpet? Fine, I'll go to the church down the road and join a new family. You see, that's not what God created us for. Now, I'm not telling you if you've changed churches or you've ever had that, there's anything wrong with you. You've got to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance. But I do want to tell you that in this world we live in, we've let the world invade the church when it comes to relationships instead of bringing the church to the world to show what a God-centered relationship looks like. And so today, that's what we're going to unpack when we talk about having a strong foundation. Now, when we talk about a world relationship all the way through this, a world relationship is usually one of proximity and convenience, right? <clears throat> Social media has showed that. <laughs> like or share, it's proximity, it's inconvenience. And so because of that, it's expendable. And I want to tell you, if you live your life in worldly relationships, it will always lead to death. But if you live your life in a God-centered relationship, it's a covenant relationship. It's a covenant in the Old Testament. Covenant means cut to blood. I know this is, you're getting, we're getting in it. I told you Hunger Games issue. You saw the promo. Like, cut to blood. And what that literally means is a covenant will lead to life. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, if you want to see what it looked like, Jesus obviously is our covenant. His blood covers us if we are in Christ. That is how we are redeemed and made new. But in the Old Testament, if you were to go to a marriage ceremony, anybody who is married now or thinking about getting married, think about this. Uh, what they used to do is to symbolize the covenant, the priest would pull a knife out and he would cut the palm of the husband, the groom. Then he would cut the other palm of the wife and they would have to bring their hands together they would both be bleeding and hold hands the entire ceremony to symbolize the covenant as everyone's jaw is dropping right now the reason they did that is it literally meant till death do us part. That's why in Malachi, when God talks about that, how you have to be married, that, that's supposed to be our relationship to Christ Jesus is, is a covenant relationship, one that is not broken, one that symbolizes life. And so in our life today, how many folks are married and thankful that that doesn't have to happen at your ceremony, right? As the pastor and the officiant, I'm so glad too because... <laughs> You never know, like if something happens, we got a squirter, and like there's blood everywhere, it could be a bad, bad thing, right? Like there'd be blood everywhere, that, that just not, that would not be good. So in this world we live in, our relationships have to be built on a strong foundation, and a God-centered relationship is one of covenant. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in a, a scripture that's very familiar to us. It's one that we've heard before, but I believe it's so important 
as we talk about building a strong foundation. If you don't have your Bible, our Vine production team is absolutely incredible. If you're watching, they'll make sure it's on the screen. They'll make sure it's in front of you if you're here in person. But if you follow along with us on the Bible app, I love that we get to make events with them each and every week and partner with them. I want to show you one more time how you can do that today. If you want to download the Bible app from your favorite app store, once you download it, you want to go ahead and open it up. Once you open it up, you want to click on the More tab. Now, when you do that, make sure your location services are on and click on the Events tab. Then you're going to see the Vine TV Worship Experience. See the title of today's message, which will be Strong Foundation. In there, you're going to find all the scripture we're going to walk through, but also you're going to see a place where you can take notes and a place where we can connect throughout the week. So if you've got your Bible, let's get to Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, as we talk about this familiar story of a strong foundation. Verse 24 says this, Jesus saying this, by the way, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Pay attention to this. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, the similarity is we've talked about this before, but it's the truth. Both builders faced the same three storms. The result was different because of what they were built on. They both faced the rainstorm. They both faced the flood. They both faced the winds. Yet the only one that stood was the one that had a strong foundation. And so today I really want to talk to you as we can see there are three storms in this text. I want to talk to you about three storms that every relationship will walk through. Whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage, whatever that looks like, three storms that we will walk through in our relationship. And the first one is this, the culture storm. The culture storm. The storm of culture will come against you and your relationship and will test it to see if it is God-centered. Culture is built on the three Ps, if you will. Culture is built on preference, possession, and pleasure. Preference, possession, and pleasure. Preference, possession, and pleasure. What I mean by that is the culture storm will present that itself as someone who is has their self and puts their self above others. It gives themselves preference over everyone else. And I want to tell you, when you're stuck in the culture storm and you let it dominate your relationship, it will lead to a fall because the preference in the culture storm leads to isolation. Leads to isolation. When you put yourself above everyone else and you don't humble yourself to serve and you live a life of preference of yourself, Above others, it will only lead you to isolation. If you live a life in the culture storm of possession and you fall in love with money, it will make you chase material things. And have you ever noticed the more stuff you have, the more worried you seem to be? Oh, what am I going to do with all this? How am I going to keep it up? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? If you're not in a God-centered relationship, then all of a sudden that culture storm will sweep you away in the storm of possession. But last but not least, the culture is the culture storm of pleasure, where if it feels good, do it. 
It's hedonistic, if you will. As a matter of fact, that storm will lead you 100% to want more and never be satisfied. That is what addiction is about. That will make you escalate time and time again where you're wrapped up in that. And the problem is when you're stuck in the culture storm, what Jesus taught all the way through that we talk about all the time at the vine is this. You reap what you sow, right? We serve a reaping and sowing God. So if we sow seeds of, of pleasure, if we sow seeds of preference, if we sow seeds of possession, why are we surprised when we bear fruit of culture instead of bearing fruit of the Spirit? You see, the culture storm will come against you in your relationship. And so what you have to do is you got to recognize, oh, this is culture creeping in. This isn't God. This is culture. This is culture trying to rob me of my God-centered relationship. This is culture creeping in on me. Number two is the conflict storm. Very simple. I mean, we're, we're going through a, a couple different storms here. The conflict storm. And what the conflict storm is, is so many times in our life, we know this, every relationship has conflict. It's not leave it to Beaver and June Cleaver and everybody gets along and no one ever fights and no one ever has any conflict in any relationships, right? 100% relationships have conflict. This is how I know. When you get in your car, how many of us have dual temperature controls? Most of us do. If you have a newer car, you got two settings. Why is that? Because car makers realize that if they're fighting over the temperature, there's no way they're going to get along. Now, if you have kids, they control it. Let's be real. But like in that, we know that every relationship will have conflict. So maybe it's not the culture storm that comes against your God-centered relationship and living on target. Maybe it's the conflict storm. And the thing is, is conflicts are always given in a relationship. They're going to happen. There's going to be a storm of culture. There's going to be a storm of conflict. The thing is, how do we react to it? And I want to share with you five ways that we react to it so many ways and so many times when it comes to conflict, and it can actually get us swept up in the storm instead of falling into a God-centered relationship. Number one is it's always my way. When you're in a conflict, you got a choice to make. You have these types of people. Number one is my way. It says, I'm right, you're wrong. Have you ever been with that person? If you say you haven't, you're probably that person. I just want to tell you, my way or the highway, it always leads to tension. You'll always have tension in the relationship. There's always a thickness in the room when that person's there, when there's always their way. It's always fear and intimidation. When you deal with conflict that way, it means you're always going to lose if you're on the other side of that. And I want to tell you, who always wants to be in a losing relationship? I don't know if anybody does, do they? No one does. Another way that people react to conflict is maybe it's not my way. The other one is no way. There's no way in <clears throat> that I'm going to do that, right? There's no way. So it's my way leads to tension. No way means I withdraw and there's no resolution. Not only is my way bad when there's no way and there's no resolution, how do you feel about that? Like you ever just go in, it's kind of like when they cancel a show too early. Like, you know, it got to season two, and the plot was just thickening, and the characters were just starting to develop, and then they cancel it. There's no resolution. You get frustrated about it. Or maybe you get all the way to the end, 
Uh, I didn't watch it, but it, uh, apparently Game of Thrones ended very terribly. I don't know, or maybe it ended greatly. I don't know, but I remember there was an uproar when it ended because the resolution didn't seem to be what it was supposed to be. In our life, when we deal with conflict and our re- relationships, so many times if we go about it saying, there's no way that I'll ever talk to that person. There's no way that I'll ever have a meal with that person. There's no way that I'll ever fix this, least no resolution. And all of a sudden, we're once again by ourselves. Number three says, I always give up, and it kind of goes hand in hand with that first one that says, it's my way, and it's your way. You deal with conflict saying, okay, well, fine, it's always going to be your way. It's going to be your way. I always give in. That is who lives with a person who says, it's always my way. Not only does that lead to tension when they say my way, when I always just give it to you and say it's your way, because I understand it's your way or the highway, how does that leave you? It leaves you with bitterness. 100% with bitterness. And you can't have conflict resolution that way, can you? When someone's bitter, it's always going to be nasty. That's where we hear about the nasty divorce, right? It's nasty. Tastes bad. It's bitter. Another way people deal with conflict is halfway. Halfway, which says that I win some, I lose some. So not only is you have somebody that says, hey, it's my way, you have others that say it's no way, others say, okay, it's just going to be your way, others say it's halfway, and so many times we say, well, that's it, well, you win some, you lose some, and I would say that's good, but that's not great, is it? That's where you hear about the old ball and chain, when people are talking about that way, it's, well, you win some, you lose some, like that kind of stuff. Who wants to live that way? That's, it's a good life, it's not a great life. It's not a life that's on trajectory, on target. It's going to hit somewhere in that little bullseye area, but not really on the bullseye. I can't remember what you call everything outside of the archery. I wish my nephew Aiden here would know all of those things because he loves doing that stuff. Like, I don't know what that is. I know where the bullseye is. I don't know everything else outside of it, but I want to tell you, like, it's a good life, but it's not a great life because you go into the conflict to resolve, is this one that I'm going to win or is it one I'm going to lose? You don't quite know because you're halfway there. But the best way to walk through the conflict storm is our way. Our way. Because it always leads to harmony. When it's our way, we work together. When it's our way, no matter what the relationship is, we work together. Have you ever seen that? That's why team sports are so great. Those that overcome win the game. Those that overcome come together. They work in harmony. Whenever you hear, uh, whenever you hear a band playing together or you hear a symphony or an orchestra coming together or a chorus, the reason that they're in perfect harmony is they're working together, feeding. Like our worship team, Vine, when they work together and they're in perfect harmony, like they're working together they're not working against each other it's our way and they're working in our way to glorify God when you're in a God-centered relationship and you decide to deal with a conflict storm our way all of a sudden you can live on target can't you how many of us have had broken relationships that would say it couldn't be resolved because we didn't work it out our way instead it was one of the other four I would be willing to say many would say that And so for us, what we have to see when that conflict storm comes up and beats against the house, instead of a great fall happening, we have to value our relationship more than the issue of the conflict. But there comes a point when the conflict becomes greater than the relationship, right? And that leads to the third storm, and that's the crisis storm, the crisis storm. Not only will we have a culture storm, not 
Not only will we have a conflict storm, somewhere along the way in any relationship, you're going to have a crisis storm. As a matter of fact, we're kind of dealing with a crisis, aren't we? Like we're in the midst of a crisis storm with, a, with, a, with, this, with this coronavirus, whatever it looks like, and, and the economy and, and the world we live in. Like It seems like we're in a crisis. And I want to tell you something about the crisis storm. It'll either build your relationship up or it will completely destroy it. Crisis is always the breaking point. Crisis is the tipping point. Crisis is where we decide that we're going to maybe resolve conflict our way and we're going to move forward together no matter what comes or that's it. I throw my hands up. I quit. The crisis will always, always be there. And the thing is, it's not a question of if there's going to be a crisis because the crisis is never planned, is it? Like, how great would it be if we could prepare for the, like, how many of us uh, had 2020, all of this happening in 2020? Like, none of us did. Like, the crisis after crisis after crisis. But the thing that we can all have hope in is because Jesus told us, what was it he said? Was it John 16, like 33? He said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, we're going to deal with the crisis storm. In this world, there's going to be another crisis. We, we've talked about this. Hey, next year, guess what? There's going to be another crisis. I hope you're ready. I hope you know. And if you have your hope in something in this world and you build it on sand, you're going to fall in the crisis. But if you're in a God-centered relationship and you're built on a strong foundation, you're not only going to survive the crisis, you're going to thrive in the crisis. And so what I want us to see so many times is no matter what these storms look like, is wherever we are when these storms come, the, the main point, honestly, I'm just going to be real with you, is no relationship can survive without a strong foundation. What you're built on will determine the direction in which you go and will determine the direction of which that arrow will go. Like if you're shooting an arrow, have you ever seen somebody like they got to be on solid footing? Like if I did it, I probably could throw it farther. than. Like I'm a dart person, I guess, better than I could pull the bow back and, and shoot the arrow. Now, like I said, my nephew Aiden, he can he he loves that. He could shoot a bow and arrow. I remember the first time he shot one, he got a little thing at Christmas. And I remember he pulled it back for the first time and he was so excited he shot it. Now he, he shoots them all the time. He gets them for his birthday and he's got all different kinds of arrows. It I don't know. He's so cool at that kind of stuff. I'm not. But when I look at this, I think if he's on solid footing, how much better he could go Robin Hood-like to hit the target. But if his foundation is shaky how hard it is to take aim. And so in our life, what we've got to see is if our relationships are built on God-centered foundations, we can definitely live a life on target, a life on aim, a life on bullseye to be exactly who we were created to be in Christ and those around us do the same. So now that we know that these are some storms that come up in our relationship uh, as we're building forward in this series, I want to talk about some ways we can storm-proof those relationships, some ways that we can get through these storms. No matter if it's a culture, if it's a conflict, or if it's a crisis storm, what are some ways that we can storm-proof our relationship? Well, number one, seriously, is be difficult to offend. Be difficult to offend. How much do many of us need this in the world we live in today? Be difficult to offend. Now, you know why we find offense in relationships, why we find offense in other people? is because, I want to tell you, we mess up what God said. Here's what I want to say. God never said relationships would be easy, did he? But we think it should be. 
We think that relationships should be easy. We ask God, why are they so hard to deal with? Like, why is this so difficult? Because he never said it would be easy. He said it would be worth it, but he never said it would be easy. We also get upset because we believe that change should always come quickly. When it comes to being offended with others, we think change is a microwave. We've talked about this before. We serve a reaping and sowing God. I've heard it this way, a crockpot God. It takes time for all this stuff to stew together and mix up and be a pleasing aroma to the world so that they can, they can come and experience God. It just takes a little bit of time for us to come together and trust each other and work in harmony. And if you're difficult to offend, you understand that change don't come quickly. And here's the thing, prime example. Working out, you spend a lot of hours on that couch looking like that. It's not going to take a week of going to the gym to change it, is it? It's not. The same in our relationships. It took a long time for us to get this broken. Now we have to trust God to go through the process of being restored, of being, of being made new, of, of being worked through. And last but not least, the reason we can be difficult, the reason we can be offended easily, excuse me, instead of being difficult to offend, is we think relationships will meet our needs, don't we? We've talked about this in marriage series, but we can do this with friends too. We think that those friends can meet our needs. In other words, we make that relationship our savior instead of making Jesus our savior. And we don't put Jesus in his proper place because we put the relationship above it. And I'm telling you, every time we do that, we're easily offended. And every time we're quickly broken. And every time we fall down. And we fall with a great fall. And when we put expectations on others to be our savior, they feel like they can never live up to it. And they're in constant misery. You're in constant misery. And you're pretty much in a miserable relationship. So if you want to storm-proof your relationship, whether it's marriage or friendship or the world, be difficult to offend, always assume the best and trust what God tells you all the way through. Because if you ever had two offended people come to the table to have any resolution, how does that work out? You hide the things that can be thrown. I'm just going to be real with you because more than likely they're going to be thrown. And so if you want to storm-proof your relationships and make them be God-centered, you got to be difficult to offend. Number two, be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive. Now listen, when I say be quick to forgive, this is not an excuse for abuse. If you are in an abusive situation, get out. God did not create you to be in an abusive situation. I'm going to tell you right now, you need to get to a space. Maybe it's a trial separation, whatever that looks like. You need to get to a space where God can help you be exactly who he created you to be while the abuser that is abusing you needs to get in a place where God gets them to be exactly who he created them to be. When I say be quick to forgive, that doesn't mean that they beat the crap out of you last weekend and so you go back to them because you're going to keep forgiving them. No, get out of an abusive relationship. And if you need help with that, please reach out to us at prayer at thevine.tv. Call 911, whatever that looks like. We will get you in touch with people. God did not create you to be abused. He created you to be set free from sin. He created you to be in Christ Jesus, to be exactly who he created you to be. And when you're battered and bruised and beaten, you can't do that. 
So I want to say that caveat 100% today. Not only do we have to not easily be offended or be difficult to offend, we got to be quick to forgive. And the forgiveness I'm talking about is found in Colossians 3.13. Colossians 3.13, and it says it this way. It says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We got to be quick to forgive if we want our relationships to be God-centered. And the reason we're talking about this, we talk about this a lot. I know we talk about relationships a lot, but it's important. It's how we live out heaven on earth here on, on the, in, in our context and as the church. And the reason it's so important that we have to be quick to forgive is we've got to be reminded why we've been forgiven. You see, unforgiveness is disconnecting from God. When you choose to live in unforgiveness and you choose not to forgive someone else, it means that you choose to be disconnected from God. You see, that, I'm going to say this, and, and, and I'm going to be as real as I can be with it. That's the issue that many of us are dealing with right now. We expect something other than giving forgiveness. We want something received. And the only way you can receive forgiveness is in Christ Jesus. And in Christ Jesus, when you receive forgiveness, you can freely give it. Forgiveness is the answer. Not being sorry all the time. Not living in a miserable state of your existence because you've, you're, you're sorry for who you are. The way that you can break free from so much conflict and so many things and relationships is to be quick to forgive. As a matter of fact, when I say this, and I'm going to say this and, and tread lightly, but I'm going to be real with you because I just want to be real. How in the world can we condemn and judge each other when we all come from the same stuff? You remember what we're made of? Dirt. Dirt. We're all a bunch of dirt bags. Literally, we are a bunch of dirt bags. So how can we condemn and judge each other? How can we think we're better than each other? We're a bunch of dirt bags. We got to remember what we came from. We came from dust of the earth. We're all made in God's image. And the thing is, how we get through this is forgiveness. Forgiveness received and forgiveness given. Nothing more, nothing less. Yet so many times in our relationships, we can't get there. Because it's so hard to forgive. And I want to tell you, if you really want healing in any relationship, forgiveness is the answer. That's it. Because forgiveness sets you free. Doesn't matter if they're sorry for it. Doesn't matter if they apologize. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so in our life, the reason we've been forgiven, the reason we've been forgiven is because God loves us through grace alone. By faith alone, in Christ alone, we've been forgiven. Nothing more, nothing less. And in our relationships, when those storms come, if we can't give forgiveness, we're going to get swept away in it. We're going to be like quicksand. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean you go back to the abuser. Hear me out. Forgiveness means it's okay for me to be at an arm's distance, arm's length distance from you, but I still forgive you we got to be patient with love and grace. The way that the world will know Christ Jesus in us is how we love, and one of the ways we show love is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of that person that wouldn't go through that red light for me to get to church on time. Forgiveness, y'all. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of that person who had 15 items and the 10 items are less lined, and we know everybody's wearing masks in the checkout. Like, come on, man, we got to go. i got places to be. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of that person that hurt us. Forgiveness of that person that offended us. 
forgiveness. Forgiveness of what happened yesterday because God's mercies are new every day, so why in the world can't mine be new for you as well? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Last but not least, be rooted, be rooted in love. Be rooted in love. Now, now I'm going to go to the most popular, I would say one of the most popular verses when it comes to love and one that we use all the time, but it's real. We, 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 we literally have to not be easily offended. We've got to be difficult to be offended. We've got to be quick to forgive, but 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul's writing this letter, he's literally talking about love. Let's look at verse 4 through 8. You probably have it memorized. Here we go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Our relationships have to be rooted in real love. Not a feeling, not a song, not summer love. Not spring love, not winter love, not fall love, not sleepless in Seattle love, whatever that looks like. Not you've got mail. I think I went through a lot of movies there with Tom Hanks. But anyway, whatever it is, not fake love, real agape love of Christ. The love that he died to give us. You see, what happens with all of us is we love because Christ first loved us. We forgive because Christ first forgave us. We are not easily offended because we know he is in control. And he has placed people in our life for a reason, a season, or for life. I've said this openly. I've talked to you about this where I've walked through relational struggles because I, I, I couldn't understand their function. And the only way I can explain it is literally this. I was trying to make coffee with a toaster oven. That's a pretty deadly combination. But when I figured out to use the toaster oven to make toast, and the coffee maker to make coffee, all of a sudden I understood in its proper functions, relationships could thrive. But when I realized people in my life, and Jesus placed people in my life for reasons, seasons, or life, all of a sudden I can make my relationships be so much better because I was not easily offended. I was quick to forgive. They could be rooted in love because love never fails. Real agape love, love that matters, love that, that is extended, love that can be seen, love that looks different than the love of this world, love that matters. And I want to tell you, through every season, through every storm, the things that have gotten me through more than ever as I look back at my life is the things that got me through are the relationships that were rooted in real agape love, the love of the Father. And so what I want you to see today, when it comes to the relationships that you're in, whatever that looks like, you face those storms of culture, of conflict, of crisis. We've learned how to storm-proof, but if there's one takeaway for your relationship, I want you to know this. God has put us together, and our choices echo for generations. God has put us together, and our choices echo for generations. What if we trusted that God has put us together in a time such as this, for a time such as this, to do exactly what he's trying to do to build his kingdom? I wonder if our choices would look different and we would see that the choice we make today would be one that echoed for generations to come, that actually would echo into eternity. The choices we make today to not be easily offended, the choices that we make today to, to, to be quick to forgive, the choices that we make today to be rooted in real love, not fake love, not, not, not uh, you know, 
Facebook boyfriend or girlfriend love, not, not social media love, like real love of Christ, which is serving others, getting on our hands and knees and serving. I wonder if we made those choices, how much different this would look in this time that we live in. If we just trust that God has us together for a reason, and we see that, imagine the difference we can make for eternity. If you want to know what's striking about the time and the relationships we live in, it's how much we discount the gospel, how much we discount the love of Christ, how much we discount the purpose that we were created to be in, the relationships he's placed us in, and the relationships he still wants us to be a part of. And so today, wherever you are, you may say, you know what, Tyler? It's easy for you to talk about all this. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they abused me. You don't know how they took from me. You don't, you don't know what they said about me. You don't know how they turned their back on me and fled. You don't know how close to death they brought me. I want to tell you, I may not know all that, but I have a Savior who does. Because I can tell you today, if there's anyone that could have found offense in me, that could have not loved me age and every day, that could have not forgiven me, that could have not been in that place, it was Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you, every day, he still chose to have a relationship with me. And so he's doing the same for you. Maybe right now that's you. And, and, and I want to give you a picture in the Old Testament of a story that we all know. If you've been in church, maybe you don't. But there was this guy named Joseph. You remember, he had this awesome coat, right? This awesome coat. It had many colors in it. And he had some brothers. He had some brothers. He told them, hey, I'm going to have a dream, and you're going to bow down to me. Well, obviously his brothers didn't, didn't like that too much. They took offense to that. And when they did that, remember what they did? Those closest to him turned their back on him and sold him into slavery. And just when it seemed like it couldn't get any worse for Joseph, he goes and he works his way up. He does the right thing. He works his way up in Pharaoh's household to where Pharaoh's wife's like, hey, uh, Told a lie on him, got him thrown in jail. Those that he trusted turned their back on him. Then he gets in jail, and this guy that was supposed to help him get out of jail, remember? That was a cupbearer and a baker. The one that was supposed to get him out of jail, when he's supposed to remember him when he goes to Pharaoh, he forgets all about him, and Joseph is left in jail. Another friend abandons him and leaves him on his own, and then finally, Finally, Joseph gets out, and he works his way up to be second in command, and there's a famine in the land, and all of a sudden, where this series and this storm all started, and his family comes to get food, it was his chance for revenge, the sequel, right? It's time, like... He, the, 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 metal, the heavy metal music's coming up. He sees them walking slow-mo. He's got the pyro ready. But what does he do? He serves them. When it would have been so easy just to spit in their face. As a matter of fact, remember, he hid food for them. And he got to walk through restoration. You see... We really want to live out great relationships. That story of Joseph is a story of you and me with Jesus. So many times I've turned my back on him and he never turned his back on me. So many times when it could have been so easy for him just to give up on me, he never gave up on me. So much so he was willing to die for me 
instead of not being in a relationship with him. And right now, wherever you are, I'm just going to ask every head to bow for a second. We're going to have two invitations here. With every head bow, I just want to be real for a minute. I, I believe right now that many of us, maybe not many, just maybe one or two of us, whether you're watching right now, I believe when I talk about forgiveness, it's such a hard thing. And I believe right now the Holy Spirit is moving so much so that maybe there's somebody on your heart, there's a name that's coming that you need to forgive. And in a minute, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm just going to ask you if that's it. I don't, I don't need to know the name. God knows the name. Would you just slip your hand up and put it back down on the count of three? If you have somebody you need to forgive today, I want you to get that weight gone today. So on the count of three, would you lift your hand up, and I'm going to pray for those names, and you drop it down. One, two, three. If that's you today, you can put those down. If that's you today, I'm just going to pray for you if you need to forgive someone. So dear Jesus, you know the names of these folks right now, the names of these people that, that, that are there that, that need to, to just let go. Jesus, you know this family here at the Vine, they have, they've stood up and they have laid down to you who they need to forgive. Jesus, I pray that they could walk in forgiveness today. I pray that they could walk and not be easily offended, that they would be quick to forgive, that they would be rooted in love. Jesus, I pray today that this forgiveness would be given. And Jesus, I just pray that you would wrap your arms around them as they do that, that they would be able to experience the freedom that only you can give from forgiveness. Jesus, no matter what the person on the other end is, no matter who that person is, no matter what they do, Jesus, I just pray for those hands that went up that you would help them to extend forgiveness because you first forgave us. And for everyone else, with every head bowed and every eye closed still, I want to remind you what it says in Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins. What does that mean? Well, some folks today need to, to give forgiveness. Other folks today need to receive forgiveness for the first time. I want you to know that in Christ Jesus, he's never turned his back on you. I want you to know that in Christ Jesus, he is standing there waiting to have a relationship with you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to memorize Bible verses. You don't have to give a dollar amount to the church. You don't have to serve at the soup kitchen. You don't have to clean yourself up. All you have to do is believe that he is who he says he is. He is our savior. He is the one that paid the price for our sin on the cross and loved us enough not to stay dead. He rose again on the third day so that we could experience life so that we can not be easily offended, so that we can be quick to forgive, so that we can walk in love, the love that he died to give us. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, all you've got to do is receive the free gift of salvation today. And so today, in just a moment, all of us are going to pray as a family out loud for those who need to receive forgiveness and who are coming to faith for the first time. I want to tell you, it's not the words of this prayer that saves you, but the faith. So with every head bowed, please, everyone, repeat after me. Dear Jesus... I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived a sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved for my sin on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step, the rest of my life, the best way I know how.
with every head bow and every eye closed, if you can say for the first time you've received the free gift of salvation, you have received forgiveness from Jesus for your sins for the first time, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. If that's you right now, if you're watching online, wherever you are right now, if you will raise your hand, maybe you're listening throughout the week, if you will reach out to us at prayer at divine.tv or 864-580-6698. We want to celebrate with you. We want to walk with you through this. And for everyone else, you can look up. We're about to get ready to worship and we are going to be singing a song about how we have been set free. We are no longer a slave to sin. We, we, are, we are a child of God. He has given us what we need to walk in forgiveness, to walk in love, to not be easily offended. He has given us the tools to be the light of the world that invades the darkness that shows his love. Because red, yellow, black, and white, we are all precious in his sight. So I'm going to ask, would you please stand and sing with us as we celebrate being set free in Christ? Yeah. Uh-huh. 
All right. Well, thank you guys so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, maybe wherever you are right now, uh, I believe in through this series as we walk through arrows, we're going to be talking about how those God-centered relationships, it's going to be so important for all of us. I know for me, as I'm getting to learn through it and Jesus is continually teaching me and, and molding me into who he created me to be and making sure that every relationship I'm in is God-centered. So I'm going to pray right quick. We're going to have an awesome week, all right? So let's pray. Jesus, once again, thank you for this day. Thank you that we get to be in you, a child of God, that we have a family. We are no longer abandoned. We are no longer out in the world by ourselves. That, Jesus, you are with us no matter what storm comes, no matter what crisis comes, no matter what we walk through. Jesus, we do not walk through it alone. You are there with us step by step, and that you love us each and every day. So Jesus, I pray right now that we would get to walk in the love and forgiveness that you died to give us. And Jesus, we wouldn't be afraid to share it with each and every person you put in our path. Thank you once again for allowing us to meet this week. We can't wait to get back together next week as we get to celebrate fathers. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. Have an awesome week. Join us next week for Father's Day as we talk about knocking the arrow. It's going to be good times. Have a great week. The best is still yet to come.